1 John 4, 7 through 12. God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Well, we have much to be thankful for today. And the first thing to be thankful for is while we were singing, my microphone was off. So it's a good start. So please have a seat. Thank you. Well, if you're new, and I can see there's a few new people here, um, I want to welcome you to King's Cross Church. This is our home, and we're we're very proud and very pleased of it. Um, And you should know that we are in the third week of a four-week series on Advent. The first few weeks, or the first two weeks, we're on hope and peace, and today's entire topic is going to be about love. And as Linda just read to us, let's talk about that love and get right into point one. God is love. I'm sure most of us have heard that phrase before, but what exactly does that mean? And how does Advent fit into all of it? So before we dig in, I want to acknowledge a couple things, though. For some, Christmas is a season of joy and celebration and gifts and pie, and I I really like pie. We'll get back to that. Um, But for some of us, it's not that great a season at all. We might be missing somebody that has passed away. Some of us might feel lonely or hopeless. And some of us might even be anxious about an uncomfortable conversation around the dinner table. And so if that's you, I just want you to know that I'm sorry and you're welcome here. And as Pastor Chris said earlier, our goal is that this be a safe space for everybody that walks through these doors. But I also want you to know that hidden in all this chaos and all the personal pain is a God that loves you. And I mean, this is a God who really, really loves you. So join me quickly in prayer here. Heavenly Father, I just want to ask that you calm my nerves in this moment. And I also want to ask that the words that I say today, that these words are yours. That the study that's gone into this has been a pure and true study of your word and your intentions for us. And that the the people that are here, that their hearts are open, their ears are open, and that they're willing to go deeper into this area of love with us, with me, with you, and that as we walk out of here, maybe some of us will even have a different view of Christmas in the season. So, Father, we lift this up and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I'm one of those people who really likes Christmas. I mean, I really like Christmas. My mom and dad are here. We'll get to that in a little bit. But they've always done an amazing job of putting together a beautiful Christmas for me. And now that I'm older and have grandkids, it's all different. Like, it's all just continues to get better and better and better. And so I want you all to think about the best Christmas movie ever made. And no, Oscar, it's not Die Hard. We've been through this before. It's clearly Elf. And so if I can get you to think about the movie Elf for a minute, beautiful wide-eyed buddy leaves the North Pole. He comes to New York, and he experiences life in the big city. 
He dodges taxi cabs. He discovers gum underneath the subway banister. Um, but the scene I'm really thinking about is when he first meets Jolie in the department store. And so they start to develop this relationship. And Elf starts, or Buddy, I'm sorry, starts to have these feelings, these tingly feelings. And he doesn't know what to do with them. He, uh, he loses his appetite. He starts feeling funny. And of course, he does what any wise person would do. He goes to his 12-year-old little brother and asks for advice. And his 12-year-old brother says, well, you're in love. And so Buddy, excited as he is, he now has a name. He now has an understanding of what's going on. He runs out into the street. He hugs himself, and he spins around, spreading Christmas cheer for all to hear, and says, I'm in love, and I'm in love, and I don't know what to do with it. And I don't know who cares about it. So I screwed that all up. <clears throat> And you can technically say screw on the from the church, but it's not advisable. I messed that up. <laughs> this is why I have notes. Um, so anyway, that was supposed to be a build-up to a warm and beautiful uh, a picture of love. And I can't prove it, but I feel like Buddy might have studied under Thomas Aquinas um, in elf school, because I don't know if you remember this from the movie, but elves are pretty old. So about a 1,000 years ago, Aquinas wrote, an act of love always tends towards two things, to the good that one wills and to the person for whom one wills it, since to love a person is to wish that person good. So you see, the way Buddy shows Jolie love is he takes her all around the city showing her his favorite things. Like, you might remember the world's best cup of coffee. You might remember spinning around and around in the turnstile door of the hotel until he vomits. You know, the good things in life, at least if you're an elf. <laughs> But what Buddy's doing here is he's trying to create for Jolie enjoyment by showing her the things that he likes because through her enjoyment, he receives enjoyment. And I want you to know that God is a little bit like that for us. The word love is probably one of the most misused and misunderstood words in the English language. And so I also want you to know there's a few of you out there in the audience that I kind of wrote parts for. And so Nida, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> so let's take Pastor Chris for example. We all know he loves his mom, Nida, and he should. She's lovely. But we also know that he loves pizza. And if his mom and pizza are on the same level as far as love goes, then his mom's going to be very sad and very disappointed. You see, Pastor Chris, what he really does is he likes pizza, and he loves his mom, and those two things are very, very different. So like is a feeling or a preference. For instance, I like chocolate ice cream, and just like Pastor Chris, I like pizza. But love, love is much more important because even though it may start off as a tingly feeling, it quickly becomes a decision and a commitment. God is committed to love us, and he wants us to commit to love him in return. So that brings us to what it means to say that God is love. When scripture says God is love, God's actually describing himself. He's defining himself and giving us insight into his attributes. And God's attributes, another way of saying that, those are his perfections. They make him who he is, and therefore, they're unchanging. They're forever. Any discussion about love has to start with God, because that's who God is. As a matter of fact, God is not only the founder and gold standard of love, but he was love long before time and space. Ephesians 1, 4-6 tells us, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us 
for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. But for now, let's concentrate on the first part of that verse. We'll come back to the other stuff in a little bit. So it says there, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And that must mean that God was not alone. God's never been lonely. He's never sat home alone on a Friday night. And he's never woken up to a cold, empty house. He has what we would refer to as built-in company in the form of the Trinity. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three distinct persons in communion and companionship, loving each other without end. Visualize, if you will, the Trinity as a fountain of pure, cool water flowing without ceasing, overflowing in abundance, the water representing abundant love and just wanting a place to go. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit sit in that heavenly realm together, ruling the universe and bubbling up with their love. As it's said in Ephesians 1 verse 4, God created us to be holy and blameless. And I think we all know that that didn't go well. Through Adam, through choice, sin was introduced, and we've been a mess ever since. Together they love, and when I say they, I'm talking about the Trinity. Together they love and they love us. But they watch as humanity continues to make a mess of the world they've created by failing to love the Father and in turn failing to love each other. So to remedy this, God the Father sends his son down to earth to wear flesh. He teaches and guides the people what real love, what his love looks like. And this is where Advent comes in. You see, back in the old days, followers of God, old stories, and prophets came, and they prepared the people. And they, the people expected that God would come to them and send them a conquering hero or a warrior. And so they were always on the lookout for that. But God's plan, the people didn't read it well. This plan that existed before creation was to actually send a baby, a harmless, poor, defenseless baby. That baby will grow up, have the same experiences as all of you and I. He'll face anger. He'll face rejection, he'll face frustration, he'll face all of those things, but there's one big exception. That baby is perfection. And when he grows up and the time is right, that baby's going to start a revolution. But his main weapon will be love. And this love weapon that he uses threatens the establishment because he uses what the current culture would call spirit of the law as opposed to letter of the law. And this threatens them. He does things like healing on the Sabbath. He lifts up the weak and forgives them of their mistakes publicly. And the guardians of this law, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they plot attacks and they eventually capture and kill him. And for a while, it looks, even to his followers, like the enemy is one. But we all know the end of the story there. Jesus rises from that grave and he meets Thousands of people, thousands of witnesses see this. And so God sends the Holy Spirit to permanently dwell in his son's followers. And every time someone gives praise, the father will point to the son and the son to the father. And the father will then point to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will point back to the son. And round and round it goes where each of the three glorifies and magnifies the other in a never ending circle of love. And that's kind of a big, 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 picture of what I'm trying to demonstrate with Buddy the Elf. He wanted to show Jolie everything he loved and put her needs above his own, elevating her in the process. And this is what good relationship looks like, putting each other's needs ahead of your own 
And the result is that you get more love in return. So the three persons of the Trinity, they do that for each other. They do it constantly. They always have, and they always will. Some of you may say, so what? What does that have to do with me? Well, this is just a simple demonstration that the reason you and I are here, the entire reason we inhabit this planet is to love God and love each other. That's it. That's your purpose. There was a really famous book by that same name a few years ago. What's your purpose? That's it. I just gave you the answer to the book. And so another way to demonstrate that is when Jesus was asked what the greatest of the laws were, because Jesus was a great respecter of the laws. He said, I didn't come here to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. And when he was asked about them, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So I don't know about you, but does anyone ever struggle to love God with all your heart? I know I do. Does anybody here ever struggle to love your neighbor? I have a mentor who is a pastor, and he calls people by a name that he means completely and totally in love. And he says, in our lives, we need something called EGRs. And he describes those as people where there's extra grace required. And I think we probably all have some people like that in our lives. But he also tells us that those people are for us. Because it's through those people, that extra grace, where we have to slow down and become better people, that actually teach us love. And I, I think that that's a, that's a beautiful image through all of that. God is love. He created the world and humanity in it to sing Jesus' praises. And in turn, Jesus points all of humanity back to the Father and instructs them to sing his Father's praises. And so all of that singing sounds like point number two. It's a party and everyone's invited. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through me. So Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit have this great thing going on. We've already kind of discussed about it in a wonky way where it's this big circle and cycle of love and it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And God the Father sent Jesus down here so we could get in on that love. He wants that for you and he wants that for me. And we mark that event by celebrating Christmas. So when Linda and I were new to this Christianity thing, we had a lot more questions and answers, and as a matter of fact, I still have more questions and answers. But I'm working towards getting some of those thing answer, things answered. And one of them is we had this conundrum. And as I mentioned, my folks have always done an incredible job with Christmas. It's like the best. But when we started looking around in our neighborhood and looking around at our friends and watching the commercials, there's a part of it that became kind of a, a crash, crass commercialization, if you will. And the problem was is that we love that. We love that crass commercialization. But with new knowledge comes new responsibility. And who wants to be the one to tell their little kids, oh, no, no, we're not going to do that. Oh, no, no, we're not going to engage in that. Oh, no, no, that's, that's no longer for us. And so we, we talked about it a lot, and we actually came up with a plan. And we felt that the plan incorporated teaching our kids love and respect for God, and also and let them enjoy an amazing season. Who doesn't love to drive around in their car or walk around the neighborhood and look at the Christmas lights and participate in all that beauty? 
And so what we did is we reduced their gifts to three each as a representation of the three gifts brought by the wise men, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And no, we didn't give the kids gold, frankincense, and myrrh for Christmas. Although if I'd have known, that would have been great for today. It would have been a great story. Um, And we also baked a cake. And when I say we, I mean Linda. So yeah, we baked a cake, and we baked it for Jesus' birthday. And that's how we did our best to celebrate it. And so on Christmas morning, we sang happy birthday. We lit the candles, then we sang happy birthday. We ate cake, and we talked about the Christmas story. And we enjoyed the heck out of those gifts. So you could kind of say that we threw a party with Jesus as the guest of honor. But for our kids to enjoy that party, they had to come. If they'd have stayed in their rooms or they'd have been someplace else, they wouldn't have gotten to enjoy the party. And so Jesus coming down here is sort of like that. You could say God threw a party for his son, and he invited everybody. He just wants you to RSVP. And so this this isn't a perfect analogy, right? All analogies walk with a limp, and this one's got a pretty good limp. But it's also part of who we want to be as followers of the way of Jesus. So what does that all mean? What do we do with that information? How do we, if we're, if we're not in the right space, and candidly, we really never are exactly in the right space. But if we're not in the right space, how do we fix that? So let's turn back to the verse that Linda read, 1 John 4. And Ray, if you could keep this on the screen for just a few moments. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is just a fancy word for took our place. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So if I could draw your attention back to verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So what this means, if you're not love, then God's not hanging out with you. God's there for the people that love him, those that truly repent and love the way he loves. And God in his love are patient, but it's important to remember that he is pure, and so therefore so is his love. God says to know the Son is to know the Father, and no one gets to the Father without knowing the Son. We turn to verse 12. It says, if we love one another. God abides in us, and abide means united or obedient. You know what it means to not abide? It simply means you're not hanging out with God. So here's another analogy because it's analogy day. If Christmas time is here, or if Christmas time is here, and if you work out long enough at a Christmas tree stand, when you get home, you're going to smell like Christmas trees. If you prepare the Christmas meal, there's a good chance you're going to smell like turkey and stuffing or whatever it is you prepared. In other words, your environment affects how you look and smell. 
And so if we're to love one another because our creator is love, which is what it says in verse 7, and we're to abide in love and therefore abide in him, which is what it says in verse 12, and we have Jesus as an example of perfect love, that means that we should be trying our darndest to imitate Jesus and be like him. You see, the more we hang out with Jesus, the more we'll be like him and the more loving we'll become. As a matter of fact, you can't help but reflect God's love if you're hanging out in his living room. And so as followers of the way of Jesus, we should all make sure that we're spending time at the right house and not the wrong house. As a matter of fact, an old, I'm going to go off script here for a second, but an old pastor that I used to listen to when I was in my formational times was a guy named J. Vernon McGee, who I think died in the 80s. And J. Vernon McGee used to talk about what that means, and he would say that your eyes and your ears are doors. And so what are you letting in the door of your mind? And so if you're, if you're, if you're watching things you, you know aren't good for you, if you're listening to things you know are, are not helpful, you're hanging out in the wrong house. So I have family and friends here. Um, Another word for them might be truth-tellers, because they actually know me. My mom and dad, which is really sweet, thank you. My wife, and I've even got a buddy in the back there from fifth grade. So uh, they know me, and they know the not good me. And if you guys knew my thoughts sometimes, some of you wouldn't want to be my friend. And the reason I tell you this is I'm not up here teaching because I have it all together. I think I might be up here teaching because I don't because I have failures all the time. But fortunately, I believe I know where to take my failures. I know to, who to go with in my failure. Um, I've been unkind. I've been unloving. But, and it's a very, very big but, even though I have those thoughts, even though I am unloving, God loves me. I mean, he really, really loves me. So sometimes, you know, I've talked to friends who say that they're unworthy of love. And maybe, you know, we've done things, maybe I've done things so offensive that we think for moments that nobody could possibly love me, especially somebody as perfect as God. And I get it. I mean, there's a part of me that 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 thinking makes a little bit of sense, but I want you to know that that's bad thinking. I want you to know that... People who don't know the Bible, people who, who think they know the Bible and have never read past one page, um, don't know what's in there. They often think it's full of perfect people following God's plan and that you know, they could never measure up or you know, there's no reason they should be involved in that. And I just want you to know that there's nothing could be further from the truth. So take Paul, for example. He was a Pharisee who was literally licensed to hunt down and kill followers of Jesus. That is, until Jesus met and converted Paul. And that same Paul is the author of more than half of the letters in the New Testament. And then, you know, I was trying to pencil this out and think about some of these things. And our church is typically a very young church. We have a lot of little kids. And I have never been to a preschool or a kindergarten and met a little girl named Rahab or Gomer. And there's probably some Rahabs and Gomers out there. And I think that's a wonderful name. But I think you should know where those names come from. Those are prostitutes in the Bible. And God held them up and he used them as mighty warriors for himself. 
Abraham is a name that most of us know. Abraham can be a little bit confusing, but he's also the father of nations. And Abraham was a liar and a coward. He sold his wife to Pharaoh twice to save his own neck. And yet, he's our father. And then I think, you know, one of my favorites is King David, whose scripture says is a man after God's own heart. And if you don't know the story, King David was a drunk. He lusted after a woman, not his wife. He got her pregnant. And then he sent her husband away to war to be killed intentionally. So the man after God's own heart had been all of those terrible things. And yet God still loved him and allowed him to write most of the Psalms, which are really the worship manual for our churches. And then Peter, we won't even get into Peter. We'll talk about Peter after church if you want to talk about Peter, because honestly, he's my favorite. But don't forget that Peter has the, kings to the, uh, has the keys to the church. And yet he stepped on it every time he turned around. And so you get the idea. Every single one of us has worth, even on our worst days and through our worst decisions. And when you turn to God, his love will always exceed your expectations. The only thing that he wants, the only thing he requires is relationship and repentance. And what those things mean together is a desire to do better and to love God and love your neighbors. Just as in that story earlier where God lifts up the son and the son lifts up the father, when you lift God, he's sure to lift you up. So let's talk about that word abide. For us to abide in each other is a relationship. Have you ever had a relationship where you didn't talk? That's not really a relationship then. And so what God wants to do, if you're to abide in him and he's to abide in you, is he wants to talk with you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Notice that this is the will of God through Jesus for you. You see, he wants you to go to him in everything. Prayer is not a monologue. God's not a genie in a bottle. It's back and forth conversation. Prayer is a dialogue where you speak your heart to him and you also give him space to respond. And that doesn't mean you're going to sit there and have a conversation at the coffee shop with him that everybody else can hear. Um, But what that means is he wants you to create space for him to speak to you and be prepared for his presence. So when you talk to God, ask him to meet you and wait. And that's a little bit about what Advent is. I know as a parent and now as a grandparent, um, nothing thrills me more than when my kids come to me for advice. And so wouldn't, you know, I would ask you, there's a lot of young parents out here, but I would ask you, won't you be honored when somebody who doesn't have the wisdom that you have and somebody that doesn't have the experience that you have comes to you and says, what should I do? And I feel that's what happens when you go to God. So we're going to go to a really corny example here. When one of my girls had their high school heart broken by a boy, 
I'm just going to go grind into the ground with my foot a little. Um, I tried to relate to them, and I tried to help them understand. Because in that moment, their world was over. And so I pulled out a corny song. And it's funny, when I was talking to Kelsey the other day, she said, Dad, you're not. And she named the song, and I said, oh, I am. Um, but I pulled out a corny country western song to try and help her understand that tomorrow would be better. And I, I tell you, it can't be easy to be my child sometimes. So Garth Brooks has this old song called Thank God for Unanswered Prayer. And I'm, I'm not holding Garth up as an example. I really don't know anything about him. He sings good. Um, so let me read a few lines from his song. Just the other night at a hometown football game, my wife and I ran into my old high school flame. And as I introduced them, the past came back to me, and I couldn't help but think of the way things used to be. She was the one that I'd wanted for all times, and each night I'd spend praying that God would make her mine. And if he'd only grant me this wish I wished back then, I'd never ask for anything again. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs. That just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he doesn't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Horny, I know, but good music. And I feel like I should add a little aside on that too, that you know, Linda and I were also thankful for God's unanswered prayer in that moment. Because we're very pleased with our sons-in-law. We're very pleased with our children and who they associate with. And I, I can't say that was always true. So can anyone else relate to praying for something and not getting it? Oh, thankfully, there's a couple of people. I got a courtesy hand up there. Matt, where was your hand? And did you discover later on that even though God didn't answer that prayer, that it was for your own well-being? Yeah, me too. So that takes me to point three. God keeps his promises. I think, I hope, that in some way we can all relate to Garth a little bit. And Advent is similar, although not written by Garth, but it's similar in that we're trusting and thanking God, but different in that it's a time of waiting, in anticipation of God keeping his promise to us, his people. Numbers 23.19 tells us that God is not man, that he should lie or a son of man, that he should change his mind? Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? So you see, Scripture tells us over and over how trustworthy God is. In this example, that Scripture demonstrates the difference between a perfect God and a very imperfect man. Because, I don't know, it doesn't matter to me, honestly, how great you are. Because if you're that great, what are you doing here? Um, but what matters to me is that you recognize that you and your friends, your neighbors, if you will, are imperfect people. So historically, the church has had two reasons for Advent. And those, those are promises found in Scripture. The first reason is anticipation for the birth of Jesus, which most of us believe is a prophecy that has come true. And the second reason is for anticipation for Christ's return, which is a prophecy yet fulfilled. And a little commercial for the church. Pastor Chris is going through Revelation right now. If you want to know how it ends, you can read it for yourself or you can have him help you. 
But these prophecies or promises placed together are a love story as only God could tell it. If this all happened quickly, easily, there'd be little value in it. You see, the growth is in the waiting, in the yearning to be with God, and the growth is in trusting him that his timing is perfect. So Advent creates that growth with anticipation. Two weeks ago, Chris taught on hope. And it was a, it was a really beautiful message. And he talked about groaning, and he gave some examples of groaning. And so if you weren't here, I thought I should touch on that because it, it fits so well into what we're doing. But imagine this. What's your favorite dessert? Can you see it in your mind? Can you smell it? Can you taste it? Now imagine you're hungry. I mean, you've been on a deserted island for two weeks hungry, and there's that cinnamon roll, or there's that apple pie, or whatever it is. And as you get near it, you see it. Your body audibly groans for it. That's an image of Advent in what it should be for Christians. Christ is coming. It's been told. It's been promised. God's good for his promises. In the Old Testament, God watches as his people turn to the enemy and embrace lies. And God desires to win his people back. But he knows that true love means people have to have a choice. You see, if God compels people to love him, then he doesn't get love back. What he gets is bondage. Pure love has no manipulation. So God is not a manipulator. He puts it out there. He gives you a choice. He says, here I am. I'm waiting. So if you'll indulge me, if you have a Bible, and anyway, I'll have my prop Bible. It got lost in coming up here. But if you'll open to Malachi 4, and Malachi 4 is the last book and the last chapter of the Old Testament. And what you'll see in Malachi 4, to the right of that is a blank page. In practice at home, that blank page comes right up. Here it is. So that's the blank page, right? And to the right of that, it begins in Matthew. So that blank page is where God goes dark. And I don't mean dark as an evil. I mean dark as in silent. And so his people notice God's silence, and they wait, and they worry, and they pray. And that blank page represents 400 years of history. And that's 400 years of God's silence. So his people know that the prophets have talked about a great king. They call him a warrior. They think he's going to vanquish governments. They think he's going to come back and immediately set everything right. And so they wait expectantly, ready for their warrior to come back. But expectantly is exactly what happens to a little girl named Mary. And so God prepares the party by sending his mighty warrior, but not in the form of a soldier or a violent avenger, in the form of a a baby for Mary to give birth to. And that baby is whom we refer to as our Messiah, our King of Kings. And in him, he introduces his followers to a different way of winning wars. It's a better way. It's a way that is love because God is love. 
So I bring that up because I want you to understand how love and Advent intersect. And I want you to know that if it feels dark, because in a similar way, God is kind of silent right now. But that doesn't mean he's not there. Just because you don't feel him doesn't mean he's not there. It doesn't mean he's not guiding. It doesn't mean he's not loving. Remember that God always keeps his promises. So if we turn to Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And remember a little bit ago when we looked at Ephesians 1, it said, he chose us before the foundations of the world. So in the beginning, he created, he chose us before the foundations of the world. What that means is that God created this, all of this, for us. And he did it out of his overflowing abundance of love. And now, if you turn to the last page, Revelation 22 20 and 21. Revelation is a book written by John where he's exposing, he's unveiling what's happening. And so John says, he who testifies to these things says, and this next part is Jesus, surely I am coming soon. Back to John, amen. Come Lord Jesus. The grace of Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. So, I want you to know when you pick up your Bibles, and you know, a lot of people have Bibles in their homes, and the Bible is meant to be a well-read book, not a book on the shelf. And so every single page, and my Bible has 1,269 of them, each one of these pages is filled with love, because after all, it's God's book, and God is love. Matthew 6, Jesus points back to the Father when he's teaching people on the, at the Sermon on the Mount how to pray. And so if you'll bow your heads with me, we're going to imitate Jesus. And Jesus said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in Rancho Santa Margarita as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being love, and we thank you for loving us so much that you would send your Son to soak up all of the sin, all of the problems that we've created, and to model love. Father, when we're weak, when we're fearful, when we're anxious, Help us remember that you always keep your promises and you are love. Amen. And Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no dot com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.